We do have to be smoother. What do do we want to do this new intro thing again? So see how that feels. I'm not. I think so. Yes. Let's try. It. I am. Oh, okay. You're sold. Yeah. Cool. That's all I need mm. to really happen. Uh, I'm gonna. Here yeah. we go. Hello, welcome to Luke's Talk Wine. My name is Luke, and I'm <laughs> I work with a big wine company. And my name's Luke Campbell, and I work for a small wine company. And uh, I should have mentioned my name's Luke Morris. This is going to be, I'm going to repeatedly bumble this up. But today, uh, <laughs> Let, should we start to, again? Let's no, start no, again. No, 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 we're going. I'm not going back. Screw that. Uh, today, we're going to talk about wine lists. Uh, I've got the topics of navigating wine lists. I guess, is that restaurant or just any wine list? We're going to discuss. We've also got a question from Ben in St. Leonard's, uh, and we've got other junk we'll talk about. Starting off with Luke Campbell. What's been happening in your wine world this week, pal? Well, Luke Morris, I've got a bee in my bonnet, and my oh. bee in the bonnet is gin. What? There's <laughs> so much gin. I've, there's so much gin, I think there's too much gin. Well, you don't like micro-producers uh, of gin getting up trying to start their business. You're trying to stamp out the small business entrepreneur. Is that what you're getting to? Not at all. Being an entrepreneur myself, I'm not trying to do that. I just want a gin that tastes like gin. I don't want banana peels. I don't want anything extra, cucumber. I just want a London dry gin that tastes like gin. Is that too much to ask, Luke Morris? But isn't gin supposed oh, to have this is the... Isn't gin supposed to be well, flavoured with gin, the... elderberries? Botanicals. Yeah, the, the, the gin is, um, you know, juniper and, sure, it's got 13 botanicals but can we not just have we got it right yet i, I think we need to get it right and then right that's it no I they invented the real here on they, the gin industry they invented a real and then they decided <laughs> they needed to change it i don't know i i think we've got all craft beer on it luke morris and it's just it's doing my head in i, I went to a big retail store the other day and i had to walk out i just couldn't find a gin <laughs> and when i got to the end when i got to the end of the gin line no, you laugh. When I got to the end of the gin line, there was gin in a can with tonic or soda or pink grapefruit. It was yeah, all Gordon's. too much. I just had to leave. It Gordon's, was, Gordon's in it a was can. An over, Haven't you done oh, that? Oh, it was an over. I have done that, but there was Gordon's in a can and then there was tank tan in a can and then there was overproof in a can with pink grapefruit. And it was just, I just want gin that tastes like gin. It's you're, too much. You're getting overblown. With uh, You're getting too much sens sensory input. Of gins, there's too many gins. Well, oh, it, sensory that, overload. I just need to go back to a traditional Tanqueray London dry gin. Is that what I do, or do I have to go all craft gin now? Do I have to go you know, you to the far flung area of the earth and drink Antarctic gin, or? Well, listen to your heart to find what I want. Listen to your heart, Luke Campbell. You can do what you want. You do you, as as they say in a slightly passive aggressive sort of way. When you know. <laughs> I'm just trying to drink my yogurt out of the tub like a little cup. And they're like, shouldn't you use a spoon? I was like, no, don't have to. You do you, spoon. I'm going to drink out of the tub and then lick it <laughs> dry. I don't need more cutlery than God's provided. Nature or whoever you want to go Um that's good good advice. Just do 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 me. Just do me as I do me. So yeah. look for dry, drink dry, dry and gin. keep it dry. I <laughs> There's so much I want to unpack with that. Just the idea that you, you you're getting a sensory overload. So I believe that everybody has um 
we're all on a bell curve for everything, and you've got a slight bell curve for uh, some sort of autistic overload when it comes to gin. Like, it's not everything that overpowers your senses, but just when you see more than two options in a gin aisle, it's, it's toys out of the cot. Well, pretty much. <laughs> like, you know, there, there's gin, there's London gin, there's navy strength. That's it. I don't want any <laughs> cucumber, indigenous grain, herb. No, too much. Just dry gin. Shiraz infused, Pinot infused, Pinot, Pinot infused fermented. Gin. Oh, haven't you had that? In oh, whiskey, mate, it's though? all the, 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 like Edward Allen well, went through a passage hey, of whis- uh, 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 what are they aging in uh, Pedro Jimenez casks and Shannon uh, some pup casks and some uh, oh, super whis- Tuscan whiskey, different story. Casks. Yeah. Oh, so whiskey, uh, different as, story. As soon as whiskey does it, it's okay. But gin, no. <laughs> Whiskey, fine. Gin, no. Gin, traditional. You can't muck with the gin. Hi, this is Luke Morris from Luke's Talk Wine. I've written some books, so visit lukemorrisha.com.au. Go there, see the books, buy one, support the podcast. That's lukemorrisha.com.au. L-U-K-E-M-O-R-R-I-S-H-A.com.au. Have a great day. You, Luke Morris, inspired me. Last week on this uh, very show of ours, this little show of ours, we were talking and you were going off to drink some Burgundy and you were talking about Chablis and and, and other other parts of the far-flung reaches of the Burgundy region. And you got me thinking... Mm. About... I think I was having grown of outliner if anybody's train spotting the last week's episode, but we did talk about that having a uh, a burgundy esque character to it. Yes, and I got to thinking about the lesser known regions of Burgundy, some oh, yeah. of the more um, what well, I shouldn't say affordable Burgundies because that's kind of a bit of an oxymoron, but the lesser known regions where, where there's value, let's say value. Um, and, you know, it took me down a little bit of a rabbit hole, whether that was Chablis in the north or whether it was Centre-Barn in the south for whites or even Savigny Le Bon uh, there in the centre for, for reds. in there? Oh, Pouille Pousset, absolutely you would. So, you know, the, these are in their own right great wines of the world. Yeah. But put in the Burgundy region... They're probably a little bit overshadowed, would you say? Oh, 100%. Yeah, it's it's a very strange thing. It's almost, there's there's plenty of wine regions, even even at home. If we were to talk about great wine regions, let's talk about the Pyrenees for a second in Victoria. Yeah. I, I've already mentioned my, my love of Central Vic Shiraz previously here. Um, they're overshadowed by, you know, Australian Shiraz has to come from South Australia. And I think South Australians would agree with that because they would. But the Pyrenees, the, there's there's a few great producers in there and they're, they're flying that flag sort of on their own back. There's there's not a lot of other fanfare going around until you actually taste the wine and you go, why have I, where have, where have you been all my life? And, and you see that yeah. with, with a lot of the Burgundies, with, with all kinds of wines around the world. All you really need is sticks in the ground and, and a good farming practice and a bit of a knowledge of how to turn that stuff into wine and you can make something good. But 
we, we focus on those iconic regions because in theory it reduces risks because it has that reputation. Whereas if you step out of the, like you said, it, you, you thought a little bit different about Burgundy for a little while and realised, hang on a second, I don't just have to go to uh, uh, Montrachet or Von Romany or Eshazo or, or something like that. There's, there's other places out there. Something yeah, well, else. when I started to dig, you know, you had, you had Fixen, Shirley Rabone, Marcinet, Montelly. There was a host of great regions which are just really overshadowed and some good value to be found, drinking value right now. Well, we're going to jump on. Do, do you want to backflip the show? Because that, that actually leads into this week's wine question quite well. Great. So let's do that. Um, this week's yes, question, if, if, if a listener wants to, we haven't told too many people about this podcast yet, but we've just got it up and ready to um, start telling people. Roll. Because you can find it. It is possible to listen uh, through as many channels as I'm aware of, and I'll add them to other channels when people say I can't find it. Um, but uh, send an email to lukestalkwine at gmail.com. Um, I was chatting to a friend, Ben, uh, on the weekend. He's in St. Leonard. He asked me a question of how much is this wine worth? And it suddenly had this double-edged meaning to it for me because I knew how much I paid for it within the trade, how much... I sell it for as a um, customer wine because you have to make some money somewhere in life and that's the difference. Yeah. And there's also the price of how much in, in this example that wine would have been worth at seller door because of the way my uh, business works. There's a, there's a seller door price which is above those other two categories. But then again, is either of those price points actually how much a wine is worth. When you analyse a wine, Luke Campbell, do you try and figure out how much you think that wine is worth someone somewhere to pay? Well, we no. Can... In short, in, sh- in short, the answer is no because I'm often thinking about what the wine's going to taste like first. Secondly, I'm thinking about what story is that wine going to convey to me, whether it's a wine grown in the 16 vintage from Savini Le Bon, or whether it's a, a, a rosé from the Yarra Valley made out of Pinot, or whether it's a Fiano from Gippsland. Like, I'm often thinking about what that story's going to tell me. Price doesn't come into it until much later down the scale. And secondary to that, the value of it, or, or what is it worth? Well, that's, that is was the that question you, asked, you, you, you questioned before about how what is a customer willing to pay for it. And that's yes. something I've had to – I just very recently talked to someone. I was selling some Grand Cru Burgundies um, to well, recommend the retail price just nudging under $500 a bottle. And someone was saying, hey, I'm never going to spend that, but why is it worth that? And the answer to yep. the question was because – People can pay that. And if you want that item, that's how much it costs. I think wines from the three Bs, and we've mentioned the three Bs on this show before, Bordeaux, Burgundy and Barolo, have a sense of authenticity. They also have a sense of rarity. They're made on a small scale. They're family produced and they're 
amazing wines representing a sense of place. Therefore, they have a sense of authenticity. So yes, they are worth it because they're conveying something. But something that's produced, you know, in, in South Australia, you know, forty thousand bottles at a time with red capsules may not necessarily have that same authenticity, and it's not nowhere near as rare as the wines previously mentioned. But because it's worth drinking and people foresee the value in its label, they're going to pay for it. So you're, it's you're a talking real, about Grange there, aren't you? I'm not, I didn't mention any any names or That's any brands. That's what you're talking about. Red capsule is used in multiple, not from a specific vineyard because it's not. It's from multiple states, let alone multiple vineyards of Australia. <laughs> That's yes, right. <laughs> but so I think what I'm looking for, a long answer to your very short question, Luke, is I'm looking for authenticity, and it's not until the third or fourth or even fifth question that I ask myself. Is this wine worth the money? Money doesn't come into it for me, but I'm not a, I'm not, I guess I'm not your regular consumer. If I put myself into a consumer's point of view, I want absolute gluggability. I went, I want weight for age, thirst quenching material right now. I'm looking for a wine that has harmony, that has a soul, and that is utterly delicious drinking right now. And for me, I've got a perceived value spot for that in my mind's eye, and that is somewhere between 27 and maybe 50 bucks as a consumer. Yep. And, you know, that, that for my one or two bottles a week, that's kind of what I'm paying and consuming, and that's what I want to pay. I wouldn't pay anything over that because it's not a celebration or I'm not cellaring it. I'm just looking for utter gluggability right now. Seemingly a simple question, but I don't think there's a simple answer to it, Luke Morris. Well, it is not a simple uh, question uh, to answer. It's not not a simple one to answer because how much is something worth is is really hard. I was talking to a producer um, and uh, explaining sort of some buying ratios and and pricings and things like that, and I, I... gave him a price i said from that's less than it costs us to make it and i said well that's that's all i can offer due to various reasons now um when you think about how much it costs up costs of wine to be made let's see uh the 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 old adage used to be a dollar for the glass a dollar for the box a dollar for the capsuling whether it was cork or screw cap um and then Maybe a dollar for the label, depending on the design costs. You, you might have more or less within that. So what's that? Five dollars to start off with for a bottle. It's uh, it's, and, it's and generally the, between three and seven dollars, depending on the wine. On for the bottle itself. For the bottle itself. So if you pick a bottle off the shelf, full a full bottle, standard size. You know, from a producer that produces forty thousand bottles of that or more, some the cost is somewhere between. Three and seven dollars for the bottle, and then you add the juice. And we're dealing in cost pricing, so if mm. it's three to seven dollars in cost price, so let's say let's round it and say five dollars in cost price, somebody still needs to put juice in there and put food on their table. But how, yep. how, how much is that juice worth? And you know, I I constantly have people asking questions about, you know, obviously I'm going to pay the least amount of money for the best wine possible. And then people hit upon the idea that, 
you don't need to spend more than $25 to get a good wine. And you don't. But that's there's definitely reasons why there's wines more expensive than that. I guess it's... I'm not really answering the question. I'm just sort of thinking aloud in terms of... I want people to pay yeah, as well, much well, as possible, obviously, but I also <laughs> realise that they have a budget. And I think that's at the end the, of the day. It, the real question is how much is this wine worth? Well, it depends on your budget. Is well, it? but the, it does. The, but the, re, the simple reasons behind why you're paying more is that what we mentioned before, that the fact that it's probably made on a small scale, it's hmm. family produced, it's, you know, partic- from a particular place of authenticity. These are, uh, but it's, it's still like art. It's still subjective. You know, what, what you determine as good is going to be very different from Ben, who the question came from, or, you know, Lisa down the road, or because everybody's palate's different. So we come back to wine being a, a subjective thing. Yeah. And Lisa down the road might be used to drinking, you know, $85 Polini Montrachet or Pouille Fousse for that matter, and wouldn't ever go near a $12 Chardonnay from the Yarra. But Ben might drink a lot of $12 Chardonnay from the Yarra and absolutely love it. Yeah. So it's a subjective thing. It is. I don't think it's a question that you can ever really answer because. As I said to one customer, like, why do we offer the expensive wines when they don't think you get bang for buck at pricing above $50 bottles? And I was like, because people will buy it. You know, really, sometimes you hit upon, like you, like you alluded to, a wine that you just love the taste of. And if that is going to cost you $100 to get that taste... Whether it's highly regarded by somebody else or whether they think you shouldn't be spending that much. If you want it, there's only one way to get it and that's to put your hand in your pocket and produce, I was going to say your card. Absolutely. But these days you might just wave your wristwatch at something and, or maybe in, in the <laughs> near future walk through a hoop and that's because no, you, you would have enough 5G in your uh, system. Well, that's it. Yes, Absolutely. But it's a, it's a great question for Ben. I, I hope we've answered it. Um, nah, we haven't an- at all. Yeah. And we never will. Make up your own <laughs> mind on the answer to that question. Hey, do you know it would be helpful though? Yeah. Yes. Navigating wine lists. I wrote that down as an idea for a topic and then I've realised that I haven't given too much of a, a narrow perspective to that. So should we talk about navigating wine lists in terms of restaurant wine lists? Would that be helpful? Oh, absolutely. Ben? That. Now you're talking my forte as a sommelier who's danced around some of the world's best restaurant tables. I can give you the insider insider look there. Um, navigating a wine list, oh, you just I can hit this out of the park for our listeners, Luke. Um, where do I start? The, well, the first thing you've got to do when you arrive at a restaurant, the first thing you've got to do is just order a glass of bubbles. You sit down because this will buy you some time with the wine list. This this is this is the restaurant man coming out. As soon as you walk in, drink <laughs> some sp- sparkles, get some champagne into you, and then start talking. Yep, <laughs> absolutely. Then start talking. That's exactly right, Luke. Never order the um, never order the second bottle off the list or the second glass from the bottom off the list because that's where the restaurant or wine bar is generally making their most money because people don't want to order the cheapest. Oh, 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 oh. 
So, yeah, go back a step. What do you mean by the second bottom bottle? On so people, the how, how big is this list? They get the wine list. It doesn't have to be a tome, but it can be. So that's but a, what I'm saying let's imagine is, you got that 10, 10, 10 bottle list. Yep. And you're Don't saying ever, this, no one ever wants to. Yeah, keep going. Yep. No one ever wants to order the cheapest wine on the list, so they order the one above. And ah. that wine there, whether it's by the glass or whether it's by the bottle, either or is the wine that the restaurant or the wine bar or the pub is making the most money out of yep. because that's the wine they charge the highest percentage on. Yep. I, I remember so that's a little a, bit of an insider's tip. I, I saw a report on uh, dating culture and in restaurants and it did say that uh, when buying somebody a glass of wine, the date would never buy the cheapest stuff because they didn't want to be cheap. But also, I don't know this person well enough to spend that much money on them. <laughs> well, the, the consequently to that, the the most expensive wine or the more expensive wines on the list is actually where you're going to get the most value from. So it's it's important for the overall experience to think about that. The other rule about navigating wine lists, if in doubt, shout out, talk to the sommelier, talk to the bar manager, ask questions. I think in our fair country you know, whichever great metropolis it is that you live, the the art of the sommelier has come on leaps and bounds. They're not there to just, you know, a- a- empty your wallet. They're there on the wine journey the same as you. So they're there to guide you. Maybe what would be great for a first date night or might, what might go well with your cheese or how it might go well with oh. your, your chicken dish. Like, so it's, um, if in doubt, shout out would be um, my advice there as well. We're going to, and as far as I've got it in my uh, little yeah. kit bag to for us to talk about cheese and wine at one point because I'm not convinced the two things go together at all. But uh, we'll talk about that in another another week's episode. The I think I come at it at a slightly different angle to you, Campbell. I think that right. I, I look at a wine list and there's two things I look for. I mean, I'm going to get this one off my chest because this is a third thing. This is just for people who are making the wine list. If you are a, a sommelier or restaurant owner and you want, want to know how to put together a wine list, hot tip that a, um, uh, a, a friend of mine told me about, order the wines in a way that is not by price. So either order it by region, order it by the grape varietal, order it by the vintage, order it alphabetical, but never by price. Because you don't want no. people scrolling along just to look at the pricing. As important as pricing is, they can figure that out themselves. What you want to focus on is the booze and have people choose the wine that they want, not judged by how much it's going to cost. And it also, just to be a bit you know, financial about it, doing, using that system also means that you wind up actually selling more of the more expensive stuff because it does take people's eyeball off the price, which at the end of the day yeah, should be the goal. Handy. You should be focusing on the wine anyway. Yeah, um, well, from a sommelier's point of view, you want to make sure that the wine complements the menu, and you do. I yeah. mean, there are inordinate amounts of ways you can structure a wine list, and that's a very good tip from you. Like, a, You certainly don't want to structure it in a range of price because I could absolutely agree, couldn't agree more. 
people just look look at the price and they don't even look at the wines. Yeah. For me, as a consumer, again, and we're all consumers here, if I sit down, I often choose wine by, for me, I look, you know, in my day job, I'm always looking at wines that will sell or wines that have age. So I always scroll down and look for wines that generally have an older vintage or, or wines that yeah. are of current vintage because I know probably that's where I'm going to get some value from. Yeah, I, I look for that. I think that's that's one of the tips I was going to say. Look for things that are unusual on that list because there's a reason it's there. I remember this, this is navigating a wine list in terms of a bottle shop, walking around the bottle shop trying to find something to to drink and it was just full of stuff that I hadn't was either too familiar with and therefore not interested in or didn't like the look I uh, didn't like for whatever reason until I found upon a wine that was um, a Cabernet blend from uh, Clare Valley and it had a horrible label and it was a bit dusty and a little bit old and I thought to myself whoever's got that in store has ordered that because they really, really liked it. There's a unique reason yeah. why that's on the list. There's a unique reason why someone has put uh, uh, Vermentino on their wine list. There's a unique reason why someone's pouring Sangiovese on their wine list, it, it, uh, even though Sangiovese is probably more popular than it used to be. But there's a unique reason why that wine's there. Somebody, it's not just Shiraz, it's not just Pinot, it's not just chardonnay it, there's there's some reason why that wine is on that list so i'll give it a bill more often than not if it's a little passion project of the sommelier or the owner or, or whoever designed the the list there's a reason they're into it it's probably because it's good yeah that's that's you've got me licking my lips already that sounds great that's that's one little tip the other tip i look at uh, apart from what's unusual is a hundred percent what am i eating here I think yep. I, 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 I have repeated questions with people. Uh, not cheese in your with, case. Not cheese. <laughs> repeated repeated questions from people about, you know, what wine do you like? And it has to always come back to what are you eating? I, I, can't, yep. I can't figure out in my brain the idea of, even though sometimes I do do it where I sit down and you know what I want? I want a glass of Shiraz. But if I if I'm sitting down trying to decide and sift through a wine list, well, what am I eating? Well, I'm going to eat some barramundi. What what goes with barramundi? Smellier, Campbell. Oh, I'd like something oily, like a you know a Viognier or maybe even a, a white blend, Marsan Viognier, Roussan, oh. a white Rhone, perhaps. Um, I'd want something really oily, you know, a Canberra Viognier. Yeah, a white roan. One of those, um, geez, Mitchelton used to make, what was that? Um, was a cracking wine. I don't know if, even if they still do here in oh, Victoria. Oh, the Airstrip? They used to make the Mitchelton. The Airstrip, that yeah, was mate. it. What, you know, a, a classic blend, Marsan, Roussan, Bionia. That'd go perfect with the oily fish of a barramundi, you know, grilled with a few spring herbs, just mm, delicious. But here's the thing, right? So what comes first? And you raise it just there a little bit. Do you... What comes first? Do you sit down at the end of a hard day's work and think, gee, I really want a glass of Shiraz? Or do you think, I'm having nachos, I'm going to drink a glass of Gewurz Tremonet? Like, do you think food first? Or do you think, this would be a great one for the listeners too, do you think wine first and then match the food? 
or are you saying you think food first and then match the wine? Uh, can I just put a pin in the idea of nachos and Gavert's Tramino? Is that a thing? Can we? Is, <laughs> when when did that? Why, why have I missed that boat? I want to be sailing well, the four shores of of Gavert's Tramino and nachos. Bloody oath! Well, mate, I've got a million. Talk to us, Amelia. I've got a million food and wine matches you haven't tried. That's just one of them. Stay tuned. Stay uh, tuned, listeners. Please send in your your food and wine match questions, Luke. Talk wine at gmail.com. I want to know what goes with baked beans. There's got to be a million and one <laughs> combinations, and we can go through all of them. Nachos and converts tramina. There's your weekend all planned. Get on there. But what comes first? You tell me, is it the food and the wine match, or is it just the wine? What comes first, Luke Morris? Uh, no, 100% it's uh, listen to your heart. Play it by ear. You do you. If you walk into the restaurant and you just have a hankering for a glass of Pinot, as long as they've got it on the list. But if even if they're about yep. to serve you sushi and all you can think of is, I love a glass of Pinot, just order it. Just because that's what you want. Yep. I, I remember being told off because I went to um, in the Duro, not the Duro Valley, down the river from there, or Porto, ordered some chicken. And while I was there, I thought, well, bloody earth, I'm not going to pass up the opportunity to have port while I'm in Porto, so I had porto, chicken yeah. and port, and um, I, I'll be honest, my brother, who's a winemaker, was like, they would have hated you. What a horrible combination to put together! And I was like, nah, stuff them. I I was going to have port, I was going to have chicken in Portugal and a glass of port in Oporto. I'm not going to pass yep. up that opportunity. I'm going to do what I want, and that was what I wanted. Let it let let it rip. Let it ride. Absolutely. Well, if it, if it means you're drinking more port or it means you're drinking more wine, just go with it, I say. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, you can drink wine. Just do it. I, I agree. Just let it rip. Uh, yeah, I just I just think it, it, if, if you're feeling like a specific thing and if that's all you really want to drink anyway, have it. But if you are struggling, if you're trying to figure out what to drink, you're trying to navigate that list, look at the food menu instead and then go back. I think that's the way to do hey, it. Hey, just on that, like, yeah. Going back to the wine list, and we were talking about navigating a wine list, just as you were talking there, you, you reminded me of another great tip, which is probably a bit on the down low, All right. that most restaurants will charge, that they work on a sliding scale of percentage markup. Yeah, and smart how restaurants how to spot do. a bargain, right? Yeah. Yeah, smart restaurants do, but not all do. So if you're considering a wine that you're familiar with, whatever it might be, let's say Scorpo, let's say Scorpo Pinot Gris, Muraducta State Chardonnay from the Mornington Peninsula. Yeah. You know, it's a a rule of thumb that whatever you would pay. So say this is your regular Friday night trip tipple and you pay 25 bucks for it retail. It's pretty. It's a fair assessment of the restaurant pricing. If you double that retail price, if it's been offered on the wine list at less than double that retail price, you've found a bargain. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So if, it if also you, makes me realise a couple of things within that. Is that one, restaurants, if they're smart, they do have a base that, they, that they're aware of. So it's not just all double. And I worked in a restaurant um, 
or Ripper restaurant that just doubled everything. And they closed because I was just pointing at yeah. some of their wines and saying, you know, you're making $20 on that um, Sauvignon Blanc. Okay. But this one over here, you're making $150 because you just doubled the price of that wine as well. And people who aren't, who are aware that that's a $150 wine don't want to pay 300 for it in the restaurant. You're going to annoy people. But that's what they ran and did yep. and they closed. Um, but I think that is it is a way to spot a bargain, like you said. If the restaurant is just working on a percentage, not exactly a, um, a corkage charge, but there is all kinds of added costs in wine sales. Glassware, glass replacement. Oh yeah, I mean we can cleaning, talk about that. We service, talk... yeah. all those things. And if the if the restaurant just factors in what they believe is a reasonable price within that, whatever that be, they can run their own business. Um, and then be aware that if you know that you can buy a Sauvignon Blanc for twenty dollars on the shop and it's forty dollars in the restaurant, or like you said, if you find something that's twenty five dollars in the shop, but $45 in the restaurant. Well, that actually looks like a good deal, doesn't it? Yeah. It's not, it certainly so does. even it, though you spent more money, you do actually get a better one. Better value. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, that's that's something I just thought was an interesting little gauge as to how oh, you, can, you can try and work out are you getting value for money, even though we dissuade buying on price as we started off with. Yeah, I, I think it's a great tidbit though because often people get either they get anxious or their anxiety comes to the forefront when they get you know delivered a wine list you know like like i said take a glass of bubbles or an aperitif first and just buy yourself some time with the wine list if in doubt shout out lukey you mentioned taking the road less travel and finding something that's you know out of the ordinary and you also mentioned matching it thinking about the food which is just an imperative step I, and i think I, I there's a couple of great tips in that yeah i love your step you, you tip about you know when, when they come up to you and they say what are you having and you haven't really thought or looked at anything go to the bubbles page first and just have a glass of that and then yep. when they come back for the food menu get your second glass of something that will go with whatever you actually want yeah yeah Sounds good to me. Good tips all round. Mm. What are yep. you uh, drinking at the moment, Campbell? Mr. Morris, I am actually drinking. I I mentioned earlier in the show after last week, and you were talking about Burgundy and Chablis. You went down. I went down the Chardonnay route. I'm actually drinking Murdoch Estates Chardonnay from 2019. Just delicious, you know. Sub thirty dollar Chardonnay, you know, yeasty. A little bit of beeswax, a little bit of almond meal, not a lot of oak, just real fruit, flat out, 2019, delicious, cool vintage, yummy. We're going to have to do a deep dive into Chardonnay at some point because it's such a twisted beast of a thing, so varied, annoying that it's not it's not as reliable as reasoning. You can't almost 99% of the time guarantee that it's just a, a bunch of juice that's been pressed and fermented in a tank and then you just drinking it straight on the quality of the farming. Chardonnay, so varied and unusual a, a creature. I know some people hate it for that reason and some people just love it. 
for the different, different disguises that it can put on. Yep. It's got many a mask. It has. Speaking of which, I actually had a Chardonnay last night. I made some Cocavan and uh, Vinda Bay um, French Chardonnay that had 2017, bit of age on that um, old boy. That's a, no, 2017 is not old, old, but it's enough, a little bit of no. time to let the acids flatten out and just soften a bit. And it was very honeyed, very, very um, honey over uh, porridge. That's the that's what Ooh. it was. Good wine. Yummy. Yeah. Good work. Oh well, uh, thanks very much, Luke. Hey, it's been great chatting this week. <laughs> it's been a, it's been a quick one. This, I was going to say it's been a quick one. It hasn't. This has been the longest one we've done so far, but I think it went well. Excellent. Yeah. Well, time flies when you're having fun. That's it. Thanks, Campbell. Thanks, Nick Brown, for the music, and uh, catch you. Speak to you next week. Thanks, Luke Morris. Bye for now. Vinified is your wine concierge. We can present simple tastings. We can grant you access to some great winemakers and wineries. We do a host of events, a lot of masterclasses throughout the year. And we also run our famous advanced wine course. And you can find these events at www.vinified.com.au. And we would welcome you to the fold.